You get your phone bill. It has lots of different kinds of charges, line charges, access charges, wire maintenance fees, and so on. None of these charges are enough to make a big fuss over, so you pay your bill. But what actually happens with that money? Where does it go? Who gets it? And what are they supposed to do with it? This is a story about broken promises, of bait and switch, of corporate greed, deception, and malfeasance. And this is Green Street. Do you ever wonder about the world's big secrets that were never exposed? Really important things that the public never found out about? How would knowing about those things change our perception of the world, of political figures, of each other? We've had whistleblowers reveal things that were supposed to be kept secret, especially in recent times, but certainly there are other things, big things, that have happened when no whistleblower was around to blow the whistle. Today on Green Street, we're going to share with you one of those secrets, one of those things no one was supposed to know about, something that has affected almost every one of us in one way or another, and for many of us, it has been a financial impact. It's a fascinating story of greed, deception, and ultimately how a group of individuals have cheated Americans out of billions of dollars and created a world where some people have easy access to the internet and some don't. First, let's say hello to our storyteller, Bruce Kushnick. Bruce has been in the telecom industry for a while. I was a senior analyst at a place called Link Resources, which was owned by International Data Corp in New York. I wrote the first report on interactive services, which was predicted that the use of a touchtone phone with a, attached to a database in the, on the telephone network and the ability to record was going to change the way we use the phone networks. Bruce got involved as an analyst for the telecom industry back when it was basically just a phone company. At the time, there was no voicemail, there was no touchtone service, there was only 3% of the population, and the databases didn't exist. But as an industry analyst and consultant to the big phone companies, Bruce was looking down the road and imagining what other things the phone company might be able to do. I wrote one of the first reports uh, on caller ID. It's on the front page of the New York Times in 1988 as AT&T's lead consultant at Interactive Services, which kind of changed my consulting career dramatically. I rolled out the first three-digit information service with Cox Newspapers in 1992. And in 95, I worked with Sprint, and we rolled out the first long-distance uh, flat-rate service. And I used my data to help build that campaign. And I was a consultant. I was, I was traveling around the world, making a lot of money and getting paid, talking about the wondrous information superhighway. The information superhighway, what we now know as the Internet. It's almost hard to imagine that there was a time when we didn't have the Internet. But with old-fashioned copper phone lines, high-speed information flow just wasn't possible. But the adoption of fiber optic cable offered a whole new world of possibilities. And Bruce was among the first with the vision of what that future might look like. Uh, at that point, the information superhighway was something that Al Gore and Clinton were talking about in the in 1992 campaign, which was to have a fiber optic wire replace the existing copper wires 
in the state utilities so that by 2010, America would have a fiber optic future. A fiber optic future. A national network of super fast, ultra reliable fiber optic cable connecting every home, every office, every school, and library and hospital. But it wasn't just about bringing high speed communications to everyone, it was about being able to get into the cable TV business and sell subscriptions. The vision was these guys wanted to get into the cable business and the cable companies and, and the cable companies were not offering phone, they were just offering cable. And so they wanted to offer phone and all these other services over the wire. However, as a senior telecom analyst, and these are my clients, all of them were my clients, I realized that they were never gonna build what they said and they had put in documents into the state commissions that basically were bordering on fraudulent. Okay, let's stop here for a minute. Before we go too much further, let's go back in time and see how America's telephone companies had reached this point. In 1984, there was uh, Ma Bell, which was all of the wires in the United, pretty much 80% of all the wires in the United States were controlled by one company, AT&T. And AT&T also controlled the long distance company in 1984. And so by having control of the wires, that gave them uh, power over the long distance part as well. And so in 1984, they were broken up because of their monopoly control over the wires mm -hmm. for long distance. So the big national telephone company, American Telephone and Telegraph, or AT&T, is broken up into one company to handle long distance service and seven small regional companies to handle the local telephone service. When that happened, these regional companies came under the control of individual state utility commissions. Basically, every st pretty much every state had a commitment to go out and upgrade the networks to change from copper to fiber. So in New Jersey, 100% of Verizon New Jersey was supposed to have a fiber optic wire capable of 45 megabits in both directions by the year 2010. You're talking about a commitment from the telecom company to the state. We're, this is what we're going to do? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, and they, and they made an agreement, which is called, which was an alternative regulation. Please, in 92, they went to the states and go, please give us more money. We're, we're, you know, if you give us more money, we'll definitely build out these networks. And so the, in almost every state, they had alternative regulation, giving them much higher profits, which was supposed to go to build out the networks, but never did. Telephone service is pretty much an essential service for all of us. Like water or electricity, it's regulated as a utility, and therefore its rates are controlled by a public commission run by the state. The utility has to apply to the commission to raise prices or change how it charges for things. So example, in California, there's AT&T California. In New York, there's Verizon New York. Most people don't know that there are state utilities. Most people don't know that the wires are part of a state utility. All of 90% uh, of New York State was part of Verizon and New York. And so these are, these are in, independent companies. So what happened was in 92, I stood up at the National Press Club. I was rich, I was famous, I was traveling around the world. And I said, you know, we have to separate these companies from these wires. If we do not, we will never have real competition, nor will they ever build out the networks as, as promised. I was unfortunately right. So just to be clear, the regional telephone companies lobbied every public service commission in every state for deregulation so they could charge more money for various types of services. In return, they said, they would build out a fiber optic network to their entire service area. 
but that's not exactly how it worked out. I was the one who had been, you know, consultants of these companies. I knew where all the skeletons were buried. Mm-hmm. And so I felt <laughs> my clients had lied to me, and I had a commitment to my Aunt Ethel. So mm-hmm. I go to my Aunt Ethel's house in 1992. I look at her phone bills, and she had uh, paid $1,000 for a rotary phone. Wow. And she had paid uh, $360 for a inside wire maintenance charge yeah. that she didn't have. You're, to- you're talking about over time, that's what she had spent. Yes. Wow. And I went back to my clients and said, well, why are you doing this to my poor Aunt Ethel? Yeah. And so I said to my Aunt Ethel, I told her, I said, I ripped the phone out of her, you know, out of the wall and gave her and bought a phone for $25 and uh, took the, and stopped the, the inside wire maintenance. But she said, she tells her, she's, she's, uh, she was 87 years old, legally blind. She holds up her, uh, her cane and he goes, uh, go get those bastards. <laughs> Literally, I, I, so I, I, my brother was there. I told him, you know, we didn't have a camera. It was a shame because uh, she would have made a great poster shot. It turns out they were messing with the wrong guy. Bruce Kushnick knew what it actually cost the telephone company for call waiting or caller ID, and he was determined to do something about it. I knew what it cost. And so, it, you know, they were able to go out and say, no, we're rolling out caller IDs, you know, we should charge $7 per, for, the, for the caller ID. And that's the one that, you know, she's, you can see the phone number. Yeah. And uh, it only cost a couple of pennies to offer. $7 a month, every you know, month. That, that, was a, that was a typical price, yeah. Now, you know, sometimes they, they package it now with the services. But, for example, they were still charging for touchstone service in 1990. Because they could. Yeah. And so for call waiting, call forwarding, all that, that was a, a fraction of a cent. Didn't mm-hmm. cost them anything because when they did the network upgrades, which they charged us for, they also got uh, the money, um, and I saw all the internal pricing because I was, you know, I was there. But so it wasn't it wasn't unknown how much it cost. So it's costing it was, it's costing them fractions of a of, of pennies, and they're charging what seventy eighty bucks a year to every consumer for for call waiting. Well, okay, let me give you the best examples currently. Uh, you know, we could, uh, there's, a, there's a charge on your thing called an access recovery charge. There's another one called the FCC subscriber line charge. There's another one called, the, and those are on the, the regular phone bills, and those basically are just uh, fees that are essentially now made up. So consumers were paying, and are still paying, every month for services that are essentially free for the phone companies to provide. So we have regional phone companies across the United States, and they control the network of fiber optic and copper wires that are being used for telephone, and increasingly for data as well. The information superhighway is beginning to develop, and the government, to its credit, wants to make sure that there is competition for providing internet service to consumers. In 1996, there was something called the Telecommunications Act, which opened up the networks to direct competition. Mm -hmm. So I could get my own internet provider, my own broadband provider, my own phone service, uh, long distance uh, and local service from different companies. At the end of 2001, there were 9,335 independent uh, internet service providers offering the majority of service throughout the United States. They were the ones who brought us to the internet. They're the ones who helped bring us online. 
And unfortunately, it was large companies decided, well, we'll just eat that business alive. And so what they did was they would change hands in, in 2000. The Republicans took over under Michael Powell. Um, and basically what they did was they closed the networks to competition, claiming that if they closed the networks, the companies would finally build out the fiber optic networks they had promised. So the networks were now closed to competition, leaving just a handful of companies to provide the service. Over the previous decade, those companies had slowly acquired and consolidated the local phone companies, making them once again vertically integrated companies that owned or controlled virtually every part of the communications network. And still, the National Fiber Optic Network, promised for decades, remained unbuilt. Bruce and a small group of lawyers and industry experts decided they had to take some sort of legal action. In 1997 time frame, 1998, a bunch of us in New York and a couple of other parts around the country started working together, including the current, my, our current lawyer, Scott McCullough. And we basically created a group called Teletruth, uh, which was designed to take legal actions against the companies. And we had auditors who actually went after the phone bills and, and got refunds for clients. Hmm. We started examining the uh, financials of the company's utilities starting in the year 2010. So what happened was is the FCC used to collect data that said, here's the state utility and here's all their financial reports. And all the states published the same thing. And then in 2007, the FCC said, well, we, these, these rules no longer apply really kind of. We don't really need them anymore, so we're just not going to publish any more information. The only state in the United States that we know of that publishes public information is New York State. And we found these reports, which were undecipherable by us, but we saw things that didn't make any sense. Well, if they're undecipherable to If they're undecipherable to you, to you, I mean, you know, you guys know what you're looking for. The public certainly doesn't have a, it doesn't even have a chance there. I bet the regulators didn't even know. So, so I'll, yeah, let me tell you the story then. So we continue on our path. It's 2011, 12, 13. We keep publishing reports about all this stuff. In 2014, we run into a former assistant chief of the Pricing Policy Division of the FCC and uh, named Paul Hartman, and he was retiring. And he said, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? So out of nowhere comes Bruce's very own Deep Throat, an industry insider who can help Bruce's team of experts understand exactly what's been going on. And so what happened was is he explained to us all the details about all of the accounting, which we did not know. Now, what happened was, this is, talk about corruption in the, in the, in the accounting rules. So, okay, you have, the, you have the wires in New York State. So the long-distance company uses the wires, the Internet uses the wires, the wireless company uses the wires, you know, for, all, for their, you know, like Verizon Wireless. And they're supposed to be paying back to the, the ability to upgrade and maintain those wires. But what happened was, is as of 2000, they decided that they were going to start manipulating the accounting so that the only, pers- the only group that's really paying for anything was the local phone company, customers. All of the other customers, all the other lines of business are getting a free ride. So everyone is using the wires for their business, especially the wireless companies. 
It's important to remember that every wireless antenna is attached to a wire, and that wire connects the antenna to the internet or the phone service or whatever the device is connecting to. Wireless companies are growing like crazy, making lots of money, but most of the costs of running and maintaining the wires that these service depends on are being paid by local phone customers, as Bruce says, grandma. The real cost of the wireless service isn't reflected in their books or charged to their customers. This makes wireless look much cheaper compared to wired services. But nobody understands that this is going on except people inside the phone company. Well, in 2012, the phone companies basically said the money is being used for the wireless company or in the wireline books. And we went, whoa, they really are, huh? And then we, we checked in these other things like the expenses for the executives and the corporate operations. This is the corporate operations expenses, a giant slush fund with all the expenses for the company. The biggest portion is the wires that go between all the cell sites and the wires that go for broadband and the wires that go to the ATM machines. Those are known as backhaul or special access wires. And those wires basically nobody ever sees. They're like, you know, those streets. And a lot of them are old. I mean, they put in some of the wires in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. They're still in use. Hmm. So what happened was, is as they started upgrading the networks, they decided that they would dump all the expenses into one category, local service, charging in Ethel, and all the other areas would be free. So corporate operations expense in New York was $1.8 billion in 2017, wow. Wow. just against local service. Wow. Now, what do I mean by that? It's paying 60% of the entire expense for Verizon New York. Why is local service, which is only bringing 20% of the revenue, paying 60% of the expenses? Mm -hmm. That's the question we ask the FCC. That's so they can charge less for the wireless service, right? Well, so it turns out that the wireless service, the wires that are being put in, are also being charged to local service, being charged to grandma, being charged to low-income families, being charged to the rural areas. So you can imagine, all of us are sitting there with, and we go, wait a second, this is ridiculous. This, and then we started looking around and this was happening in, this is happening in every state. So in New York, for example, there's over $2 billion of expenses being charged to local service that shouldn't be there. So in 2015, there was a, an investigation, uh, 2014, there was an, uh, a petition for an investigation. There was an investigation in 2018. It was settled and the state basically required, required Verizon to do 30,000 lines of fiber optics and to fix some of the copper wires that were deteriorating. But it didn't go after all the money. Now, why didn't it go after the money? Nobody knew that the accounting rules were in place. Mm -hmm. Nobody yeah. ever read the books. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine my surprise when I'm sitting there talking to, you know, with the members of the commission and they don't know what happened. They don't know that the percentages being dumped into local service were egregious and they never checked and did any audits. No state has ever done an audit of the books. Yet. So yet. This, is the, this is the public service, the PSC, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. They have to understand, they, they're, the, they're one of the good ones. Yeah. They actually, they actually have collected the data compared to the other states, which basically when you, when you file a FOIA request, it goes, oh, no, that data? Oh, no, no, we, we, no, no we, just, we don't use it anymore. No. So we took this case because at this point in time, the FCC's rules are still, in, still being used. But the, but the states don't want to examine the books and don't want to go after the financials. And the FCC says, we no longer are in charge of these rules anymore. So it's in, it, the whole thing went into limbo. So that nobody was looking at the books. And, no, and we asked the FCC, 
18 times to look at the books, and they ignored us. So, Bruce, there's a yeah. pile of money then that the telecoms have been amassing over all these years. Whose money is that? Does it go back to Aunt Ethel's, or, or does it go back to the states? It, okay, at this point in time, we're going to go try to go get the money back, mm-hmm. and we're going to use it to build out the networks so mm-hmm. that everybody has fiber. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're going to stop the wireless tra- the, the money that are being transferred to the wireless company. You, you, know, you know this industry pretty well. Do you think there's enough money to wire the, everybody in the United States? Yes, yes. Not only was there enough money, but there's been enough money for 20 years. Mm-hmm. If they took the, one, the two and a half billion dollars of overcharging in the state of New York, and they just had taken a billion of it and put it into building out the networks, it would have been done by now. So the, the, the broadband divide, or the rural divide, that's, that's just the result of pure greed. It's a result of pure greed and manipulation, and they knew that they were doing it. Why? This is where, this is where everybody's getting a really off because they said, well, wireless makes us a lot more money. So why don't we just put them on wireless because we'll make a lot more money. We can put data caps on it so they can only use a certain amount, and then we can charge more. And we don't have to run the wires anymore because we can just use the wires in place that are there and charge it to grandma, so they'll never know. And we can get rid of the unions because, well, they're attached to the wires and we can use contractors now. And we can get rid of all the regulations that require us to do anything in the rural areas because we can say, oh, we're losing all this money. Now, on the books, Verizon is in New York is losing $2 billion a year for the last 10 years. That's on the books. You take away the corporate operations expense and you fix the expenses that are being done for construction and you have a billion and a half dollars profit. Not only do you have profit, but you could use all of that money for all these other things because getting a wireless company to pay its fair share. Now, the wireless company has a profit margin of about 50%. Why is that? Because they've done all the expenses into the state utilities. And nobody knows the state utility exists, and nobody's audited the books until now. The FCC, or Federal Communications Commission, controls virtually every aspect of communications in the country. It is run by five commissioners who are appointed by the President and confirmed by the Senate for five-year terms. The job of the FCC is to regulate communications companies to encourage competition and protect consumers. So why wasn't the FCC watching what was going on? The FCC has been a nightmare. It is basically corrupted to the point where I've never, I have never seen it quite like this before. We have a chairman who's a former Verizon attorney. Yeah. We have Brendan Carr, who is a former Verizon, uh, who worked for Verizon on the accounting rules in oh, 2007. Great. Oh, terrific. And not only that, but he worked for the Wireless Association in 2011 or 12 to stop uh, San Francisco law that was going to inform people about health issues dealing with wireless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when he got the job at the FCC, uh, Ajit Pai said, this is a a First Amendment freedom freedom of speech thing. But but it was for the phone company. Now, uh, we have uh, William Barr, who was the former uh, senior lawyer for GTE, which was merged with Verizon. Mm -hmm. So he Mm -hmm. must know about the accounting. Wow. And, and pretty much every other person on the FCC Consumer Advisory Committee and all of the transition team and everything all work for the companies. Everybody was in on it. Right. 
Wow. Not only were they in on it, but what they had was a plan that AT&T had given Adject Pie in 2012. It says, this is our wish list. We want you to get rid of all regulation. We want you to get rid of all, all, all obligations that we have on any of, any of the wires. We want you to give us the wires for free, and we want to make them private property and still charge the local phone customers. And we want no obligations to do anything if the wire breaks in the, in the states too bad. Thirty-two separate proceedings happened at the FCC, all interlocking to do slicing and dicing of the public. The regulators are focusing on the infrastructure, on overcharging, and on the digital divide, uh, and attempting to get those who want wireless in the in the rural areas to understand that fiber and wire line is a better choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We call it pearls on a fiber optic string. The reason being is because a lot of people don't know. I mean, today, there's three things going on in the, in the, the government. But number one, Ajay Pai is asking for another $9 billion for wireless at the FCC at the next meeting. There was a congressional decision, or I think, it was, I don't know if it went through or whatever, but to give uh, $2 billion for wireless immediately. Mm -hmm. And they are also, uh, in the states, they're going after, they're uh, trying to increase Wi-Fi and giving new grants, all about wireless and Wi-Fi. Our answer is, is the fiber optic wire that is required for all wireless services. Who's putting in the fiber? Who owns the fiber? We do. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? How much are they paying for the use of the fiber? Nothing. Really? We want them to pay. Not only do we want them to pay, we want them to pay us back yeah. for all the money when they put in the wires that they're claiming are their private property. It's not. We paid for it. Let's get ready to rumble. Scott did a masterful job in putting the thing together in the court, and we knew that we wanted to get the court of the FCC to say the rules no longer apply so the states can take uh, control and go ahead and do the audits and do the investigations and get the money back. We didn't get standing. There was no merits of the case discussed. But we got the court to say the states are independent uh, uh, so that they can now go out and do this. Now, Scott McCullough did what he called a briar, uh, a briar patch strategy, which basically says to the, the fox, uh, please source into the briar patch. Please, 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 because, you know, it'll hurt us. No? And then you can go eat us. So they threw us into the briar patch. And guess what? We're protected by the briar patch. <laughs> So we're getting ready to rumble. We are, you're in court. We had a decision on March 13th that said, uh, you don't have standing, you don't have this, but guess what? We, in, the, in the actual decision, they say the states are independent and they, they have no relationship to the FCC accounting rules anymore. Okay. They do not okay. apply. So what are we planning on doing? This is going to be expensive and it's going to take a lot of time and effort, but it's worth it. We're going to go into multiple states. We want to see the books. And if they say they don't have it, we're going to take them to court for discovery. We have to. No choice. Why? Because if we don't do this, at this point in time, they'll say there's no more utilities left, there's no more accounting left. They can take the utility wires and transfer them to the, state, to the wireless company as private property for private use. So, after spending decades charging plain old telephone customers billions of dollars to build out the wires that now connect every wireless antenna in America, the wireless companies are getting ready to claim that the wires belong to them. 
that the wires we all paid for are their private property for their private use. We're talking about fifteen, twenty billion dollars of state that's been put in by the wow. by the public wow. that never had any that we've never seen a cent for, and that they basically took the wires in New York. There was two point eight billion dollars in just two thousand ten to two thousand twelve diverted to the wireless company. On but it's on the wireline books now. How do we know this? Besides the annual reports, we also have a bunch of other documents that were filed by the the, the uh, transcripts that were filed by the uh, the companies. But we also have all of the re- reports from all of the union guys who are on- installers all over the country telling us stories. The most important story that, I, that you need to know is that a lot of the installers told us, point blank, that the wireless company is not the client of record when the wire goes in. Meaning that the wire line company, the state utility, the one that grandma is paying for, the one that the rural areas are paying for, they're the ones who are the client of record. So, what is our goal? Our goal is to separate the wires from the from the wireless company and make them pay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but we want this will stop 5G. Why will and most of the Wi-Fi stuff? Because when they have to pay, they it won't be profitable. So this is the big secret that no one was supposed to know about: accounting rules that no one outside the industry really understood filing cabinets at public service commissions in every state filled with undecipherable accounting figures that no one understood, state utility commissions deceived by telecom lawyers and accountants, and a concerted effort by a few companies to game the system, cheat Americans out of their hard-earned money, put their own people in charge of the FCC, and laugh all the way to the bank. Even our representatives in Washington don't really know about this. Right now, they're talking about using taxpayer dollars to close the digital divide, the urban divide, the homework divide. The telecoms have their lobbyists swarming all over every bill in Congress, trying to sneak in their funding for new wireless systems to fix the very problem they themselves created. They almost got away with it. They almost conned the entire American public. But they didn't expect Bruce Kushnick and his team of irregulators. Most of the people don't understand that Wi-Fi and, and 5G is being funded via the wireline networks. They don't know that. Right. But we are not only underfunded, <laughs> seriously underfunded, but we are also need help on, on almost every front when we go into a state. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out how to do this. We, you know, we have the expertise and know where the skeletons are buried. Yeah. We don't have the, we don't have the legs uh, uh, and, the, and the bodies and the, and, the, and the intelligence of what's going on where and how to deal with it. So, Bruce, how do people find, I mean, it's an unbelievable story that you've got here. How do people find out more about it, more about what you're doing? Well, you can go to the website now. We're starting to sort of build out our build out our stuff. On, you can go to the website at regulators.org and find us. We're on Facebook, um, but we're just starting. And any you know, we could use as much help as possible on actually building this army because we have to do this in multiple states simultaneously. Well, we got okay, a lot. Okay, so we, yeah, I mean, you know, and when you guys you guys have done a great. Uh, you know, I, I was on the I was on the last call. You guys did a great job, and I think a lot of people are woken up. Um, the one thing is, uh, you should know is that this is, this is not, not a new topic for us. We've been no, talking no, no. about the, the wireless transfer 
to from Wireline since 2006. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I do remember hearing about what you guys are doing. Yeah. You know, we have Americans for Responsible Technology. There, We have, you know, feet on the ground in a yeah. lot of states. Some of the people who are involved in this, you know, anti-5G movement, but it really is an anti-wireless movement. Right. Um, but, you know, 5G got everybody's attention. It was, you know, it was sexy. It was easy to say. And, you know, and, and all right. of a sudden people who weren't involved at all just thought, I don't want it in front of my house. Right. And that, right? And at that, that one point where uh, they don't want it 10 feet from their window. Exactly. Is, we believe is, is the real crux of what we care about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's where we are. I mean, we're, you know, uh, just to go back a little bit, I mean, grassroots environmental education is that we're an environmental health nonprofit. We're all about just educating the, you know, the public about the links between common environmental exposures and human health. Sure. And we kind of work on a triage basis, uh, you know, uh, wireless technologies were not, you know, on our radar, you know, when we started the organization in 2000. They became much more interesting to us when they started rolling it out in schools and our, you know, our most vulnerable populations were being exposed significantly just because of the way, you know, they set up a classroom where you got 25 kids all on a wireless device. You know, it's pretty high radiation levels. And then we started the BabySafe project. And the mm-hmm. Baby Safe Project is all about pregnant women and how it's impacting the normal brain development, especially the prefrontal cortex of, you know, fetuses that are, you know, that are trying to develop when you've got a, you know, you've got the, the mom sticking her cell phone in her pocket, you know. So anyway, sure. so that, that was our other thing. So, but then, you know, 5G came around and, you know, we tried to organize it. And so now we have Americans Responsible Technology and 5GCrisis.com. So we could probably, you know, get a bunch of people. I mean, some of these people are very well connected. Some of these people know local politicians. They know, you know, state government, you know, people. Um, I don't know how we might be able to help you with well, this, but it would it's, it is certainly something valuable and worth working yeah. on. And may I say, we have a lot of really smart people who listen to WBAI. Yeah. I, I'm always impressed when we, you know, when we when we used to be able to be in the studio and we'd open the phone lines. You know, they'd light up, and people were really. I mean, they were following along. They Engaged. knew exactly they, what they we got were talking the science, about. So, yeah. uh, you know, so if people are interested, it's irregulators.org. Um, and you can go there and find out more about Bruce Kushnick and what he and Scott McCulloch are up to. And soon, we hope, it'll be an army of people who will join you. I'm excited about the, the fact that, the, uh, uh, that you guys are, are you know, doing what you're doing. And, uh, I, and I think you got a great response. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how we can you know, work together um, in New York or in the, some of the other states. Um, I can't. I can't reveal all the little details. Of what no, we of are course doing. not. Of course no, not. I know that. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. but just yeah. it, if you had to ex- explain the situation. The elevator to speech. The elevator speech on this. And like, speech. give me no. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you only four sentences. <laughs> okay. Um, Go. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, <laughs> don't ever say go to me. Okay. Um, okay. We, we, we believe that the wire, wireless networks are being subsidized by the wireline networks, and we want to stop the flow of money, making 5G unprofitable. Because if 5G had to pay for itself, it couldn't. And that's, and that's the next sentence that I should have said. Okay, yes. yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll, we'll write the elevator speech together. I would, I would appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm, a, listen, I'm, I'm a nerd analyst kind of guy, you know, on half of my brain, so um, I, I, it's, I could always say 
500 words when I should have said three. You know. <laughs> well, Bruce, it's really been a pleasure to have you on Green Street. I'm so glad you you, you were able to join us. And uh, you know what? We'll look forward to, to being part of your support network here and helping you in every way we can. I, I hope, appreciate it. You know, I hope you'll come back from time to time and join us on the show and you know let our listeners know how things are going because I, I know this is really it's an important issue for everybody. And Well, I mean, you, you've got the answer to all the to, yeah, to, to the yeah, problem, which yeah. is that we want we want fiber optics to right. and through the premises yeah. everywhere. The, the, you know, the one thing that I have to impress uh, impress on people though is we have to bring in all of the other people who want 5G and who want wireless to understand the issues of the infrastructure and money because they care about how much it costs almost more than they care about anything else. Yeah. Right. And so from my perspective, the digital divide people who are very passionate and very caring they have take, they flipped over the last three years from going, we want a wire, to they want wireless, because there is no other person screaming, let's bring back the wires. Right. We, as a group, need to start bringing this yeah. one point yeah. home, which is wireless is not a substitution for wireline networks. Right. Right. And, and, and you yeah. guys could probably help uh, write some of these, you know, uh, the elevator speech much more than I could. But that's kind of where, I call it pearls on a fiber optic string where we basically make sure that all the people that care about the digital divide, for example, have an answer, which is, is fiber. Yeah. Exactly. And if they said, well, how do you pay for it? We go, most people don't know that that's, we're going to figure out how we can pay for it. Already, it's already, it's already been, been paid, paid for. for. We, it's we don't been want government, paid for. We don't, uh, the, second, the second line, we don't want government subsidies. We already paid for it. You've been listening to Green Street, and our guest for this hour has been Bruce Kushnick, former analyst for the telecommunications industry turned whistleblower and activist. His website, again, is earregulators.org, and if you missed any part of this program, you can hear it again at our website, greenstreetradio.com, or on the archives here at wbai.org. Our music today was written by myself and composer Mark Roos, and the program was produced here at the Green Street Studio. Thanks to everyone at WBAI for keeping this critical station on the air, and to all of you who have been contributors to BAI, we truly appreciate your support, especially in this difficult time. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street. Until then, please stay home, stay safe, and be well.